sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. I'm sorry. And good afternoon. Welcome in. This is Fantasy Sports Today on Sports Grid. Happy Monday to all of the, those of you who are watching. Craig Mish, Joe Pizapia. We're recapping everything that happened in week seven of the NFL from a fantasy perspective, also from a wagering perspective as well. Also, World Series could be down to its final game. You can follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. You can follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Pizapia 17 And Joe, lots to get to today here on the show. Late night of football, late night of baseball. We're going to cover it all here on this Monday edition of the show. What's going on? Yeah, a very late night in football, that's for sure. I uh, fell asleep during the Cardinals game when it went to overtime, and I woke up just in time, somehow, miraculously, for the field goal that was then missed. And then, obviously, a lot of more nonsense ensued. But all, all I can tell you is after that game, despite the loss for the Seahawks, it was uh, it was apparent that DK Metcalf is now my new hero. That was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen on a football field, on a baseball field, on any athletic field. That man running back, catching Buda Baker, and uh, stopping him before he got back to the end zone. Shades of uh, Don Beebe back in the Super Bowl. Very cool, no doubt about that. But my goodness, athleticism on display like you might never see again. It was great, but no fantasy points for DK Metcalf, so that kind of hurt oh, me in the game last night. To be, uh, it definitely hurt me. To be honest. <laughs> I can tell you that yeah. much. Everything to Tyler Lockett, unfortunately. Yeah, Tyler Lockett did have a, a great game last night, no doubt. So we'll get into all the NFL, of course. And, and, and Joe, I, I think that, look, I mean, Game 6 is coming up tomorrow night in the World Series. We definitely saw L.A. dominate that game yesterday, but... It seems to me that this is just headed back and forth. It's it's the mistake that everybody seems to be making here is that when the Dodgers win, they assume they're going to win it. When the Rays win, we assume that they're going to win it. Uh, look, Saturday night and the ending to that game was the craziest ending that I've seen to a World Series maybe since Gibson or or, or Joe Carter. I mean, it was, I mean, seriously, like I, I couldn't believe how the Rays ended up winning that game. I thought something like that was going to happen last night too. Maybe they were going to win again, but they did not. And now they're headed into a situation tomorrow where Dave Roberts essentially is going to go with Tony Gonsolin, which tells you, I think, all you need to know. Dodgers feel really good about if they have to go to a Game 7, having Walker Buehler there. And the Rays, it's going to be all hands on deck for them. So I'm curious to see if the Rays can eke out another win tomorrow and then push this to seven games. And and honestly, I, I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, a lot of people were talking about that game on Saturday night being one of the best baseball games anybody's ever seen and certainly one of the strangest endings. But you're right. It just seems like it's just like two heavyweight boxers, right? When you used to watch Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali just kind of slug it out. And there'd be one round where all of a sudden you say, wow, Ali looks really good there. And then the next round you see Joe Frazier. And maybe I'm dating myself now. I was too young to see those fights. I had to go watch them on ESPN Classic as a kid. With, of course, my grandpa, who's a big boxing fan, so he would watch those fights with me and tell me about them. But that's what it feels like. It feels like these two guys, and these two teams, basically, are just slugging it out there to the death, back and forth. And you're right. They say momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. And certainly Clayton Kershaw basically killed all that momentum last night. And it's incredible when you think about it, right? Because this is a team, right? The Dodgers, all the way up to the top of the scale payroll, 
the Rays all the way at the other end of it. And you see here, Clayton Kershaw does it up, looks great, right? And at the same time, what's going to happen tonight? Nobody knows. And I think that makes for must-see television for sure, Craig. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly looking forward to uh, diving more into this game and more into the series. I know it's an NFL day, but it feels like, in a way, baseball's kind of captured everybody from this past weekend. Do you kind of agree there? Like, that that ending to that game with the Rose Arena just touching home plate there with that crazy play at home just – I don't know. It just seems to uh, be spreading like wildfire and everybody wants to see how this story is going to end. Yeah, and it, and it leads really more discussion about playing on a neutral site for the World Series and if that can make the games competitive. And, and really, it hasn't needed that. If you think about it through the years, there's been a lot of Game 6s and Game 7s over the last five years. A lot of the series are going the distance. Cubs and Indians, everybody remembers. Astros and Dodgers, everybody remembers. So, with the way that these World Series are really going the distance, I don't know that it needs a neutral site, but I, I think that's added to this this year in particular because you don't really have a clear indication as to who's going to win. And when you watch a sporting event, that's what makes it so much fun is the idea that anybody can win in any game, whether it's NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, and hockey. We want that. We love seeing that, and I think that's a big part of that as well. Uh, real quick here before we go to our fantasy standouts, the big story of our day is uh, the Cleveland Browns with a huge win yesterday. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But unfortunately, there is a little bit of a downside with them. And Odell Beckham Jr., according to the Browns, is going to miss the remainder of the season, Joe, with a torn ACL. And I know that Beckham's tenure in Cleveland has been muddy, to say the least. It seemed like he was starting to get on the right track. I know Mayfield did yesterday. Uh, but look, the, the Browns are headed toward the playoffs at this point. They're 5-2. and two. And mm -hmm. and I suppose if Mayfield's going to play like that, it's time to start digging into some of these secondary receivers on Cleveland. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because Rashad Higgins is a guy that I thought might be worth looking at anyway down the stretch run just because. Uh, and sure enough, there you get this Beckham news this morning. And Ian Rapport said uh, this morning that basically, you know, you're in a spot here with Beckham where you can't cut him right now if you're the Browns because of the cap situation. There's a certain deadline in order to do that, and they probably can't do it because of the injury now. So it would have to be some sort of mutual parting of the ways next year if these two, you know, Odell and the Browns wanted to part ways from each other. So it's a very complicated situation, but in terms of fantasy, it's Higgins. Uh, Landry hasn't been healthy. You hope you get Nick Chubb back healthy in a couple weeks, and Kareem Hunt continues to catch the football as much as he has this year. But there's no doubt about it. Losing Odell Beckham is not helpful to the Browns, despite the fact he's been up and down production-wise. Everybody knows in terms of defense out there, you have to basically guard him no matter what because he does still have that kind of breakaway talent in moments. So this is a big loss for Cleveland, but you're right. They're probably on the precipice of the playoffs anyway, regardless. All right, we'll get to our fantasy standouts coming up next. Some great days for some new and old quarterback. So make sure you stay on the grid. We run through all the games coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Fantasy Sports Day with you here on SportsGrid. A great day for quarterbacks in the fantasy universe on Sunday. Not so great for Running backs yet again, that has been the story of the season, Joe, more or less. You're getting a lot of good performances from quarterbacks, some from wide receivers. Of course, tight ends always a mixed bag. 
but <laughs> trying to find any kind of production from running backs has been impossible. And the idea of, well, that's why you have to lock in a running back. I mean, that didn't work out either. I mean, it has literally been a guessing game all season long at that position. And that is not changing on a week to week basis. No, what is changing or I guess evolving is the shots that you took kind of in rounds three, four, five with guys like James Conner, guys like Hunt, guys like some of the, you know, some of those guys that were that next tier that had one potential but weren't being drafted as ones end up so far being better investments. Now they can get hurt at any given time too. When you look at the attrition of the first round of running backs, it's a disaster right now. Hopefully Cook will get back sooner, and then after the bye, he will be healthy enough to play again. But basically, it's him, it's Kamara, it's Derrick Henry. Those are the last three standing because Zeke's out there too, but Zeke keeps fumbling the ball, and the Cowboys obviously have a lot of concerns. We'll get to that. But you're right. I think what it's going to also do is going to make people maybe focus a little bit more on the quarterback position and be more willing to take elite quarterbacks early because you see the rushing yards are attached to guys like Lamar like Kyler Murray, and maybe to a certain extent, some of these other younger quarterbacks are going to come in the league the next year or two. And I think that's going to change the dynamic of how we value that position, even in single quarterback leagues, because I think the drop-off from those guys who can make up the deficit of the bad running backs, or at least the mediocre ones, I think is really going to change the landscape in 2021. It's going to be fascinating to see what ADP looks like then. All right, so let's take a look at it. Here are the complete fantasy standouts from Sunday. And again, there are going to be some players that we'll miss, but essentially these uh, are some of the better ones. Uh, Joe Burrow, with his best game as a pro for sure, I mean, put his team in a great position to win. Just Baker Mayfield made an unbelievable throw at the end of the game. 406 passing yards, 34 rushing yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, this was his best game as a pro. No doubt about it. He, this was the best game I've seen him play. 297 passing yards, five touchdowns, threw a pick in the first quarter, and then played like Montana the rest of the way. And then the last <laughs> touchdown pass that he threw was the best touchdown I've seen anybody throw in the NFL this season. It was great. Uh, Tom Brady also just continues to, I mean, forget about turning back the clock. He's just having a great year. Five more touchdown mm -hmm. passes, 369 passing yards, 33 of 45. A phenomenal game for him. Jeff Wilson Jr. got the call on Sunday, and he delivered big way. 17 carries, 112 yards, three rushing touchdowns, and then unfortunately got hurt, and he's probably going to miss this week. It seems like whoever plays for San Francisco is worth starting, so we'll have to monitor that as the week goes on. Antonio Gibson has done what everybody else does to Dallas. He had his 100-yard day, 128 rushing yards, also scored a touchdown in that game. That was pretty much it from running backs in fantasy yesterday jeff wilson jr and antonio gibson those were the top <laughs> guys that is crazy uh Devontae adams uh had the biggest game of the day at wide receiver for uh, until eight o'clock eastern and that's when tyler lockett stepped up and said oh forget that 13 catches for adams 15 catches for lockett 200 receiving yards and three touchdowns Basically, in the game last night, they decided that Metcalf was covered. I guess it was by Peterson. They just didn't throw his way at all the entire game. And then Deontay Johnson had his coming out party yesterday, too. Although, who knows on a week-to-week -week basis who it's going to be with Pittsburgh, Joe, because Claypool was the guy for a while. Now it's Deontay Johnson is the guy. And uh, and this is what I, I know that you and a lot of other people were waiting for, for Deontay Johnson. It took eight weeks, but I guess we're here. And, and Pittsburgh is playing so well that they don't seem to care who is getting the targets and who is getting the ball. It, it, mm. From watching that game yesterday, it feels like the way that the Steelers are operating is we're just going to mix it all up for three quarters. 
Mm-hmm. We're going to lean on Juju in the fourth. Even if Juju has nothing for three quarters, we're just going to throw to him every single time in the fourth because he's the reliable guy. Right. And uh, in Claypool, they're only going to use in the right matchups, which he had for three weeks, and now he doesn't for two weeks. So uh, can't figure out what Pittsburgh is doing except for the fact they look like the best team in the NFL. Yeah, well, they're winning football games is what they're doing. And the tough part is Deontay Johnson, I'm sure, was on a lot of benches. I know I had him on a bench or two this week because I was a little afraid. What are you going to do here with Juju? What are you going to do here with Claypool was emerging? Well, it turns out Deontay Johnson went back to work. And that's good news long-term, but terrible news for those of us who actually sat him this week in the matchup or thought they had some other people there that were just as good potentially. And it's funny because the first two weeks of the season, fantasy-wise, Johnson was great. After that... He got hurt, right? He had the concussion protocol, then the back issue, then came out of another game. Claypool takes over, and here we are. And look, a great day for Lockett, too. I know there are a lot of people, Craig. I cannot tell you how many questions I took on Twitter about, should I sit Tyler Lockett? Should I sit Juju Smith-Schuster? And I kept screaming, no, you cannot do this. You cannot sit these guys. You drafted them with high equity in terms of like third round picks, fourth round picks. You have to play these guys for better or worse because if they have 30 on your bench, you will never forgive yourself. So hopefully you listen. Hopefully you actually played him. Uh, Burrow and Mayfield were great. I think it's a little bit of a product of those two defenses, to be honest with you, too. That Cincinnati defense is atrocious. Brady looked terrific as well. Uh, The running backs, I'll tell you what, Wilson did look fantastic, but I saw a little bit of hasty, too. I got to say, I was impressed. That kid looked like an aggressive, explosive runner. So next man up, whoever it is for San Fran, is viable. I think that what it teaches you is that it is about the system in San Francisco. It's not about the backs. Doesn't matter if it's McKinnon. Doesn't matter if it's Wilson. Doesn't matter if it's Mostert. Doesn't matter if it's going to be hasty. Whoever's going to get the most touches. It's going to be fantasy relevant going forward, so keep a close eye on that one for sure. And look, I mean, Devontae Adams with a big bounce back game, which I think makes a lot of his owners feel really good because if you've had Devontae Adams this year in fantasy, it's been up and down. You've had some injury issues. You've had some up and down games. The game log hasn't been what you wanted, and the reason you drafted Adams was the consistency of the game log. That's what every fantasy analyst will tell you. So this was really important here. Great job against Houston. Obviously took advantage of a great matchup there, but there were a lot of fantasy superstars, just not that many at the running back position. No, and that's kind of the way it's been this year. So it's uh, it's finding guys like Hasty and finding guys like Edmonds and, and some of the backups and hoping that they could play and stay healthy because as good as Jeff Wilson mm-hmm. was yesterday, you run to the waiver wire to grab him and see that he's not going to play this week. It's just been a mess, that's for sure. So, got to fight through it, and we will continue to this week, no doubt. All right, let's take a look at the standouts from the World Series. In last night's game, we have Clayton Kershaw, five and two-thirds, five hits, two in runs, two walks, six strikeouts, good enough to win. Not as good as he was in game one, but at this point, if the Dodgers do win, uh, I I think that he's got to be in the conversation for the World Series MVP, that's for sure. Max Muncy, two for three, a great home run where he just stood and watched it. That was fun, RBI and a walk. Jock Peterson got the scoring going with a home run early. Yandy Diaz got a couple of hits in this one, a triple, a run, and an RBI. And unfortunately for Tyler Glass now, I think we have seen the last of him in the World Series. I don't think any scenario would paint him coming in to even face anyone at this point, Joe. He uh, unfortunately, is for himself, has broken the record for most home runs given up in a World Series from a starter. He'll have better days, but for whatever reason, Joe, he is not matching up against L.A. So uh, right now at this point for the Rays, they still have the bullpen to get it done. They still have the pitchers to get it done. They'll have Snell going at game six, and then if they get to a game seven, they'll have Charlie Morton. But for Glass now, he pitched two games. He lost two games, and I think it kind of 
Tells the story right there with them. <laughs> yeah, it does. And the Rays' offense was relatively quiet. And you can make the argument right now that Kershaw might be the front runner for that MVP with two Ws. You know, with so little starting pitching out there, even just good, not necessarily great, that tells you a lot. And in this game, he made some history too because he tied Justin Verlander for all-time postseason strikeouts. So who would have thought that would be the case? Everybody wants to talk about the poor record, the poor performances of Clayton Kershaw over the years. But we talked about it on this very show. The whip is great. The strikeout numbers are great. All the peripheral stats are good. The hits per nine. You know, the only thing that wasn't good, the losses and the ERA, which tells you it's always that one or two moments in a game where he makes the wrong pitch or the defense doesn't help him out or he gives up the big home run or that big hit. And that's been his undoing. And so far in this series, that hasn't happened. There's been moments for that to happen. And he's been able to work around them. And that's great. I'm very happy for Clayton Kershaw. I'm happy for the Dodgers. That was a mammoth shot there for Muncie, too. You want to talk about home runs when a guy hits it and he knows and everybody knows in the building? I'll tell you, that was one of those shots for sure. If you haven't seen it, go back and look. But uh, I'll tell you what, would not shock me at all tonight if we're going to continue to move towards the Game 7 because that seems to be where things are going to head it. Yeah, I, I think we could. It's certainly possible. Rays will need to step it up tonight or tomorrow night, no doubt. Tomorrow All right, night, uh, right, Chris has got the update coming up next, and then we'll start going through our games and talk about who did what. We'll start off with one of the most entertaining games on Sunday, Cleveland-Cincinnati. Go figure that one. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. It is Monday, 26th of October, our final Monday here of the fantasy football season in October. Of course, we got November to go, December to go, but believe it or not, folks, we are closing in on the end of the regular season of fantasy football, and so a lot has happened thus far. And uh, who would have thought at this point that Cleveland Browns would be one of the AFC's best teams? Well, I'm not even sure that that is the case, but they have one of the best (laughs) records, that is for sure, after beating Cincinnati yesterday. Although Cincinnati has had some really crushing losses this season and just Mm -hmm. add to it based on what happened at the end of the game yesterday. Uh, Very entertaining game. Let's go through it. Baker Mayfield, 22 of 28. He threw for 297 passing yards, and the numbers were that good. This guy was as good as I have ever seen him. In the first quarter, I thought Cincinnati was going to win. Then all of a sudden, Cleveland just turned it on, turned it up, kept driving up and down the field. Now, at the end of the game, a couple of things happened. The first thing that happened was clearly Mayfield ended up winning the game for Cleveland. Also, the line was three and a half. And Cody Parkey missed an extra point at the end, so that cost a lot of people for sure. Kareem Hunt, 18 carries, 76 yards. He was basically the only ball carrier, but interestingly enough, they went to more of a passing game here as Rashard mm-hmm. Higgins had six catches, 110 yards. Donovan Peoples-Jones got involved in the action. Three receptions, 56 yards. He caught a ball off the arm of uh, Jarvis Landry, who threw a pass. And then Harrison Bryant, who I really didn't know a lot about, Caught four balls, 56 yards with two touchdowns because Austin Hooper did not play in the game. And so, Joe, before we move to Cincinnati, I mean, Cleveland, I wonder if if their game plan is changing a little bit. I'm not sure, but that's the way it appeared yesterday. They didn't have to throw as much as they did. They did not have to target these guys as much as they did, but they did move away from running the ball. We didn't even see Dearness Johnson in this game, but uh, Mm. only 18 carries for Hunt, and and maybe – 
this is the dynamic of Cleveland, or maybe it was just a matchup with Cincinnati. We'll see moving forward. Yeah, and if you still have Dearness Johnson on a roster, I think it's safe to drop him now. <laughs> Just going forward, if you didn't get any action this game, he's not going to get any action. Plus, Nick Chubb looks like he's targeting to come back week nine. So, yeah, and I would say all three of those names there, Higgins, Peoples-Jones, and Bryant, are all guys who are going to be on the waiver wire on Wednesday that you want to look seriously about. Uh, the people's champion, Peoples-Jones, certainly. And Higgins was a guy I was talking about before with some people even going into this week where I think there was some upside there as the season went on that you see even you know in patches at times where Higgins and Mayfield seem to really look good together. And now with Odell Beckham out, you're going to see that guy on the field a lot more. That means good news for him in terms of possible target share. So keep an eye on Higgins. He's definitely that number one there going forward in my mind in terms of who's the guy that could really rise quickly off the waiver wire into your starting lineup and actually help you. But uh, it was a good job by Baker Mayfield, no doubt about that. I would also argue his two best games of the year so far both come against Cincinnati. I want to see him have some good games against some other defenses that aren't the Bengals. But look, the Bengals' offense, at least, Craig, was certainly on point yesterday. Yeah, uh, Joe Burrow, as we go through it, threw for over 400 yards. He also rushed for 30 yards through four touchdowns, also rushed for a touchdown as Burrow continues to deliver as a rookie quarterback. Giovanni Bernard did have a touchdown in this one, a receiving touchdown at the end of the game. It was arguably the biggest touchdown of Cincinnati's season until, of course, Cleveland came back and won. But in the end, he did get you the fantasy points. He did not look great, Bernard. And it, and it looked like it looked like they really missed Mixon in this one. We'll see if he could play next week. Boyd, 11 receptions, tons of targets, 101 receiving yards, and a touchdown. A.J. Green had a good day. It could have been a lot better. He dropped a couple passes, and I don't know what he was doing on that Hail Mary at the end of the game. I don't even know if he was even looking at the ball. Uh, he had a shot to catch that thing at the end. I, I think he's gone from there. But seven catches, mm -hmm. 82 receiving yards for him. T. Higgins was also very good in this game. Got hit, left the game, came back. We'll have to see what his injury is. But he had five receptions for 71 yards and a touchdown. So, uh, Joe, I, I think that for Cincinnati, look, as long as Burrow is the quarterback, you're going to be getting a lot of good, good fantasy information mm -hmm. and stats, I think, out of that receiving core. But uh, Mixon, to me, is just so much better than Bernard and watching that game pretty closely. And, and I think Higgins and Boyd both have value going forward the rest of the season. Green, it was a disappointment to me. I know his numbers look good there, but uh, he, he, had, <laughs> he was targeted a lot more. And maybe they're just doing this to trade him. I'm not sure what the story is, but um, he, he's having, he had a good game. And on the, on the stat sheet, it's going to look like 15 points. But I got to tell you, if I have green, I, I would I went back and watch the film. You would you would think you could have got 30 from him yesterday. No, and that's the frustrating part. You can even dial back to the first two weeks of the season where he had 22 targets in the first two games and he dropped a touchdown pass or Joe Burrow just missed him or there was an incredible catch. Actually, in that Cleveland Thursday night game, I remember it, it was out of bounds, right? It was just they just can't seem to get it all right. But the good news is Tyler Boyd is getting it all right. And so is T. Higgins. And those guys look great going forward. And they seem to be matchup proof, which is even more important. I think for fantasy owners in 2020, having two guys that are matchup proof, and I do mean it. I mean, they were good in the last couple of weeks against teams that maybe they shouldn't have been good against. Against Indianapolis, a really good defense, right? Still had a bunch of targets, still were double digits in terms of their fantasy full point PPR points. So I think Boyd Higgins going forward very good. There's a lot of concern that Mixon's not going to be ready for next week too, which is which is really troubling because, like you said, Gio is not the same guy. I mean, I know he did come away with a fair amount of points here, almost 20 points here. But at the same time, this is going to be about Joe Burrow. It's about throwing the football in Cincinnati for the next couple of weeks. And that defense is going to keep them in a position to keep doing that. 
All right, let's move on to the Lions and Falcons. Basically a gift win to Detroit on Sunday. No question about that. The Lions move back to 500 and now have a shot at the playoffs. Matthew Stafford, 25 of 36, 340 passing yards. A very late touchdown to TJ Hawkinson gives them the win. A disappointing day for DeAndre Swift, who didn't make the most of his day. Nine carries, 27 yards. He did score on a receiving touchdown, and so you did get your uh, you know, 12, 13 fantasy points, but not as good as, as I think that a lot of people were expecting. Galladay was great, made some unbelievable catches. Six receptions, 114 yards for him. Marvin Jones, five receptions, 80 yards. So he finally woke up. And then Hawkinson, as I mentioned, with the touchdown late in the game to give them the win. Uh, let's move over quickly to the side of the Atlanta Falcons as Matt Ryan threw for 340 passing yards and only one touchdown as they had a couple of passes in the end zone. And so that gave Todd Gurley his day of uh, two touchdowns. One, of course, is the one that everyone's talking about that he should not have scored and basically blew the game and gave the game to the Detroit Lions. Gurley, uh, they told Gurley what to do exactly, and, and he apologized after the game and said that he messed up. But he was awful. 23 carries, 63 yards. He looked terrible, but you get the ball in the one, you score. And that's what Gurley's been doing, and he continues to do it all season long. And I guess health is a skill, and as long as Gurley stays <laughs> on the field and gets one yard, he's getting you 15 fantasy points. Uh, Julio Jones, 8 for 97. Ridley, 5 for 69 and a touchdown. He delivered again. And then Hayden Hurst, you can only ask a tight end, Joe, in fantasy to get you 10, 15 fantasy points, and he delivered as well. Uh, but look, the Falcons had this game won. All, mm -hmm. all they had to do was kneel on the ball. And and Gurley did this previously, ironically, yeah. and, and, and knew exactly what he was doing. And you could see at the end he was trying to fall, but Detroit was really smart. They, like, pushed him into the end zone. They're like, go, go, it's score. No, please, so, score. <laughs> And so, yeah, I, mean, I look from from a fantasy output here, there really wasn't a lot to love in this game, I guess, outside of Ridley. He had the big game on the side of Atlanta and Detroit certainly didn't deserve the win. But then again, they deserve the win in week one. So things even out now and they're three and three. Yeah, a little bit of karma here for Detroit. A little frustrating, too, because Kenny Galladay's had two great games back-to-back, -back, but no touchdowns. Come on! Can we get Kenny Galladay a touchdown, for God's sakes? But still, two really good games for him back-to-back. -back. And you're right, the Falcons are going to Falcon, after all. But at least, like you said, Todd Gurley shows up every week to play, which is more than we could say about most of the running backs in, oh, I don't know, in the NFL at this point. It is unbelievable how many running backs are missing right now. Just in this, this week, this week alone, how many backup running backs were starting. All right, Packers and Houston Texans. Let's run through this quick. The game was over from the very beginning. The Packers dominated. Aaron Rodgers threw for 283 and four touchdowns. A good bounce back game for him. Without Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams rushed for 71 yards, also had a receiving touchdown and uh, four receptions, 37 yards. So he delivered for the most part. Uh, Devontae Adams was the big star of the game, 13 for 197, two touchdowns. And uh, again, Houston... Uh, almost back to the Bill O'Brien days with Romeo Cornell, not really sure what they were doing. They were just kept kicking field goals in this one, being down three mm. touchdowns. It didn't it didn't add up. Uh, for Houston, Deshaun Watson's numbers were all garbage time. Uh, 309 passing yards, 38 rushing yards, and two touchdowns. David Johnson, another subpar day, saved his day with a late score, four receptions, 42 yards. Cook, 7 of 60. Randall Cobb was actually their leading receiver, 8 for 95. And then Will Fuller also with a garbage time touchdown, three receptions, 35 yards there. So uh, Green Bay basically, Joe, took advantage of Houston's defense. They did it more through the air than they did on the ground. And as, as good as Houston looked, and ironically, this just happens in the NFL. Houston looked really good after they fired O'Brien. 
And now they look exactly like they did before. So I, mm-hmm. I think they're a fadeable team going forward. Yeah, I mean, same thing with Atlanta, too, right? They showed some life, and then what happens? Everybody reverts. So there you go. So you know who these teams are. Good fantasy day for Deshaun Watson. I think he's going to have a lot of good fantasy days, regardless of what's going on. Uh, J.J. Watt was disenfranchised, to say the least, at the post-game conference there. Uh, he is just uh, not happy, and I don't blame him, too. I mean, if you're the Houston Texans, you had certainly expectations. Every year you seem to. every seem, You seem to be a playoff team every single year, and yet at the same time you always fall short. They're not a playoff team this year. David Johnson, kind of vanilla as always, you know, just kind of does enough that you want to keep him in your fantasy lineup as an RB2 because guy Todd Gurley shows up every day, right? Those are the guys at least you can put him in your lineup. It was a decent day for Cooks. Fuller saved his day with a touchdown, but this game was all about Aaron Rodgers. Spread the ball around to a bunch of guys. It did not help your fantasy team at all, with the exception of one, and that was Devontae Adams, who had a great day. And if you picked up Jamal Williams when you heard the news about Aaron Jones, you did certainly pretty well on that. And that's not surprising because Williams has shown you even last year the guy caught half a dozen touchdowns. He was pretty involved in the offense at times, especially around the goal line. So he's a capable guy in the short term. So we'll see if Aaron Jones can get back on the field sooner than later. But a good win for Green Bay after a terrible loss to Tampa the week before. Yeah, and A.J. Dillon played a little bit, looked okay, I thought, in a few of his carries. But for the most part, this was the most action that he had gotten in any game this season. All right, coming up next, a wild game between Pittsburgh and Tennessee. Same with New Orleans and Carolina. A lot of the early games yesterday were fantastic. Dive into those next here on Fantasy Sports Today. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. It's Fantasy Sports Today. It is SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com. Each and every Monday here on the show, we recap all of the NFL action, go through the fantasy ramifications, the point spread ramifications, And if you were watching in the NFL yesterday from 1 o'clock Eastern to 4 o'clock Eastern, you literally could have made it till about 3, 3.30 Eastern and not had a clue if your team was going to cover. It was really that crazy going right down to the final 30 minutes in almost every football game yesterday. It was insane. Another one of those games yesterday, you thought after the first or second quarter you had a good winner in taking Pittsburgh as they went up 14 to nothing. But clearly, Tennessee stormed back and showed that they can throw the ball around a little bit. Let's start off with Pittsburgh here. Ben Roethlisberger threw for 268 passing yards, two touchdowns, but three interceptions, including a couple of very strange ones in the end zone, back of the end zone. One at the end of the half, one at the end Mm. of the game. Not sure what he was doing. James Conner did not score. He had a touchdown called back. And also, it seems like while Conner's getting all the volume... Benny Snell is the goal line guy. Seems they just keep giving him the ball at the goal line. So Snell is the touchdown stealer from Connor, who ended up giving you about 12 fantasy points on Sunday. Juju Smith-Schuster, quiet in the first half, very active in the second half. Nine receptions, 85 yards. Deontay Johnson with his best game as a pro. Nine receptions, 80 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. Eric Ebron had six receptions for 50 yards in the game. As I mentioned, the Tennessee Titans, not known for a team that can usually come back, and, and known for a team that plays good defense. Well, now they don't play good defense, and they're able to come back. It's pretty much been their story this year. <laughs> Ryan Tannehill, 220 passing yards and two touchdowns. Derrick Henry saved his day with a touchdown at the end. Boy, it was a tough go for him in the first half, but they were down. 
And why the Titans don't just throw to him, I, I don't understand, but they don't. 20 carries, 75 rushing yards. A.J. Brown, another monster game. Six receptions, 153 and a touchdown. And Corey Davis also scored a touchdown, almost at a second one as well. Uh, it, it, Joe, this game came down to the end, and Goskowski missed a field goal. He hit an, a field goal of, I believe, 51 earlier in the game, and then the Titans certainly thought that they had a shot to tie the game late with, uh, I believe it was like a 46-yard field goal, and he ended up missing it. Pittsburgh ends up winning. This was a great game. Heavyweight battle, two good teams, all the cliches, right down to the wire. But I I think that I was impressed with Tennessee because I I didn't think that they'd be able to come back once they were down two touchdowns, but they, they definitely proved me wrong there. Also, keep in mind, had Roethlisberger not thrown either of those picks, those are two more field goals probably for Pittsburgh, and the game wouldn't have been as close as it looked. Probably. You know what? That last one at the end, I thought maybe they had really gotten caught with their hand in the cookie jar. I kind of felt like momentum was on Tennessee's side, and they were going to win that football game. I don't know about you, but when he threw that last one with about two minutes left of the game, I went, oh, goodness, here we go. You go down there, you kick this field goal, you send it overtime, and let's go, right? No, no. Not to be Stephen Goskowski yet again missing another field goal, and they got to fix this. They got to do something about this. I mean, I don't want people to lose their jobs, but at a certain point, like you have to look and say, is there a better option somewhere out there? Because you can't have a guy missing field goals and extra points at the rate this guy is. It's just not good for your win total. And I know this is their first loss, but still, when you get in the playoffs, you can ill afford this. My big takeaway from this game: AJ Brown is a star. And if you didn't realize that going into this game, I think you realize it now. He is a matchup nightmare, big-bodied wide receiver. They had trouble guarding him all over the place in this game, especially in the second half. The guy just absolutely is phenomenal. And a lot of people last year were not buying into A.J. Brown because the thought process was, well, he's really efficient, but he's not getting enough. You know what? It doesn't matter. Whatever this guy gets, he makes the most of, and that's what stars do. I think going forward next year, you're looking at A.J. Brown as an absolute wide receiver one in fantasy, and that's the big takeaway. And look, another great game for Deontay Johnson. Terrific. Now what? What happens next week? What do we do with these wide receivers? What happens to Claypool's value? Hopefully you sold high on him, but I don't know, Craig. I don't know what to do going forward with any of these guys. I think you just throw them out there and just hope for the best and hope it's that guy's day and that guy's number gets called because Pittsburgh's tough to figure out right now. Yeah, I think Claypool's far from done. I, I just I don't know what their game plan is going in, and they're not going to tell us. So you'd be guessing, yeah. and and it really what it really creates is the interesting dynamic for DFS because if you mm-hmm. hit on one of these guys, you're feeling great about it. I mean, James Washington was the guy last week, so yeah, I, I think Pittsburgh is tough to figure out. They're probably going to do it in different ways. One week you're going to have a guy in there, he's going to score for you, and one week he's not. I, I think that's that's pretty much it. I, I don't know that. Any of them are every week starters, but it depends mm-hmm. on your team and depends on your flex and depends on who you have. And that's that's really what it comes down to. Okay, the New Orleans Saints battled with Carolina. It was back and forth. Carolina continues to be very impressive this season. They almost won this game. Uh, Drew Brees played well, 29 of 36, 287 passing yards, three touchdowns, also ran for one. Alvin Kamara did get all the workload, but no touchdowns. 83 rushing yards, eight receptions and 65 receiving yards. We saw two receivers who a lot of people don't recognize the names, and myself included. Marquez Callaway, 8 for 75. Deontay Harris, little guy, caught a touchdown, four receptions, 46 yards. Notice you don't see Traquan Smith's name on here. I guess he's just not good. Jared Cook, three receptions, 32 yards, and a touchdown for him. But really the story for me was Carolina. They continue to play well. Teddy Bridgewater only missed on five of his passes. Are you kidding me? 23 of 28, 254, 10 rushing yards, two interceptions, no mistakes. Carolina, 
doesn't make mistakes. They stay in the game. Mike Davis with his worst game since taking over for McCaffrey, and this could be the end because McCaffrey's due back next week. DJ Moore, four for 93 and two touchdowns. Robbie Anderson continues to have an all-pro season, six for 94. And then Curtis Samuel uh, ran in a touchdown toward the end of the game, also had 68 receiving yards and four, uh, 48 receiving yards, and, and also I thought was pretty effective in this one. Uh, so the bottom line for me here, Joe, is that the Saints – without that great home field advantage, appear to be a mm-hmm. team that I think is this. If you're betting on the Saints and you're getting points, it's a great bet. If you're laying a lot of points with the Saints, I, I don't know that you have a shot because they don't have the same home field as they had before. Late yeah. in games is when the crowd's going nuts and teams are going berserk and you can't hear and, and the other team's throwing picks and making mistakes. We're not seeing that with the Saints this year. It doesn't mean they can't win 10 or 11 games. I think they will. But from an ATS and point spread perspective, if I see Saints minus 10 and they're at home, it's I'm just not a believer in that with no fans. I, I just can't do it anymore. I would argue it's not a new phenomenon, too. Go look at some of the tape for some of those games like against the Rams last couple of years in that building, too. This defense uh, really does not have a lot of stops in it. And it seems like in that building, these totals really go up and it doesn't matter who they're facing some weeks, which is kind of staggering when you think about it. They got a lot of big names still on that defense, but they just seem to let teams back in it or hang around very long and they end up in these shootouts. And it's not even just this year. It kind of is the last year and a half or so. You go back and look at some of the game logs in New Orleans and you kind of go, wow, especially when the New Orleans defense was kind of at its apex. They still had some of these games that were kind of puzzling. My big fantasy takeaway here is definitely DJ Moore, the two touchdowns. He had a big touchdown in this game, too. And a lot of people who were concerned first four weeks of the season that he was pretty dormant. He was still getting a lot of targets. We talked about it here on the program. Still getting a lot of air yards, still getting a lot of targets. Don't give up on DJ Moore yet. And if you didn't, you've been rewarded these last few weeks because ever since that breakout game in Atlanta, DJ Moore has gotten back on track, which is great because Teddy Bridgewater now has two legitimate wide receivers. Now he's going to get the best running back in football back healthy. Man, Carolina has been fun to watch this year regardless. And I think that's a big takeaway, too. And I'm happy for Teddy Bridgewater. He had a good showing here in New Orleans against his old team. And uh, look, New Orleans has a lot to figure out. Michael Thomas is going to miss another week, too, with that hamstring issue. It's looking like a lost season for Michael Thomas at this point in terms of fantasy, at least. Yeah, everybody in the first round, more or less, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Okay, Buffalo and the New York Jets. Jets gave uh, the Bills a battle here a little bit. Jets covered a spread, finally, for the first time all season. Josh Allen uh, had a tough time. 30 of 43, 307 passing yards, 61 rushing yards. And Allen, who was the clear favorite for at least runner-up for MVP, is now sort of moving down a little bit. I mean, Wilson at this point has got to be the the, uh, the favorite. Uh, Zach Moss, maybe he's getting more action. Seven carries, 47 rushing yards, three receptions, 25 yards. The rushing situation with Buffalo is just a wreck. Cole Beasley, 11 receptions, 112 yards. Great PPR play for him yesterday. Quiet day for Diggs. Six receptions and 48 yards there. Uh, and then Tyler Bass, their kicker for Buffalo, uh, kicked six field goals. He's basically the reason why Buffalo won the game yesterday, and the longest one was 53 yards. Uh, on the side of the Jets, they slogged their way through it. They kept it close. They had a chance to win until the fourth, and then things fell apart, but it was good for a while. Sam Darnold, 12 to 23, 120 passing yards, negative passing yards, uh, negative fantasy points, I should say, on the day for mm. him. Hey, Frank Gore, five yards per carry again for Frank Gore. Not going to retire until 2027. LaMichael Perrine, 11 carries, 39 rushing yards, two receptions, and a touchdown. P. Ryan does not get enough playing time for sure, but this was the big positive was Denzel Mims was on the field and mm-hmm. playing because that's not something that we've seen all year. 
four receptions, 42 yards. And for me, this is important because with the way that Jefferson has played and Higgins has Mm -hmm. played and Claypool has played. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, I guess Judy's done now, but at the beginning, the way that Judy played, like you, you saw at least the guys on the field, all those. How about CD Lamb? Lamb too, (laughs) right. And and Mims was nothing. And Mims Mims was taken with all those guys. Mm-hmm. So maybe the second half is for Mims and not for the others. Maybe. Could be for Aguilar. Uh, I mean, not Aguilar, excuse me, uh, for uh, Jalen Ragor too in Philadelphia because it looks like he might be active next week. So, yeah, there's still a lot of life left in this wide receiver class that's been really good to fantasy owners this year. And Mims had a good debut when Crowder was out. You had to upgrade him a little bit. Um, look, there's no doubt about that. Mims has an opportunity here to be picked up in a lot of leagues and could actually be useful going forward, depending on how much time Crowder is going to miss. But even regardless, they drafted this guy for a reason. Uh, Another tough loss here, but uh, I'm not shocked that they covered. Buffalo has a real problem here. And as you get into the winter months in Buffalo, I think it's going to actually grow. And that's their inability to run the football. Uh, Going into this game, this is a fun stat. I talked about this on game day on Sunday morning here on the network. Kind of doing a little homework there before, just kind of looking at some stuff. And the uh, the rushing yards total for the season for the Buffalo Bills was somewhere around 550. 150 of that was from Josh Allen. If you took Josh Allen's rushing total away, they were dead last in the NFL in rushing. So how about that? That is a big problem, especially when you're going into a situation where it's going to get colder. You're going to have more elements in Buffalo. This is a real problem here for the Bills. they got to figure out this running game. And if it is going to be Moss, I know it's his first game back, so maybe you kind of get him worked out a little bit. I think he's worth at least a look going forward because Singletary hasn't gotten the job done. But I don't know about you, Craig. I think this is a real issue potentially for Buffalo going forward if they can't figure this out. Beasley's been great since John Brown's been hurt. There's no doubt he has stepped up and filled that void. But you have to run the football and not just Josh Allen running the football if you're going to be successful. It feels like Buffalo's on their way to 10 or 11 wins and an early out in, in the playoffs. Yeah. That's kind of the way it feels. But but you know what? They'll, they'll be satisfied with that. It'll be a little disappointing, but in the end, if Buffalo wins, if they go 11-5 and five and get a home game and don't win, I mean, I guess it'll be looked at as somewhat of a disappointment. But I, I just don't think that they're there yet. They're, they're Also, their defense is not as good as I thought in watching them the last couple of weeks. Every team goes through a two- or three-game slump. Buffalo's going through it right now. Whether or not they bounce back remains to be seen, but they literally, uh, I, well, I don't want to say that they did not have a chance to cover because when you kick six field goals, if you convert out of, and they try, actually, they tried eight. So, but out of the six field goals, when you're looking at the point spread and you say, well, the Jets covered and they deserved it, I mean, yeah, they did deserve it, but if Buffalo converts two of those six field goals to touchdowns, they don't. So just something to keep in mind moving forward with the Jets. I wouldn't think that you want to back them even with these big spreads. And that's something that we're going to have to get into a little bit later on as the Kansas City line. was It opened up at 21. It's now down to 19 Kansas City this week over mm. the New York Jets. All right. Well, we come back next. A game, one of the rare games in the NFL this weekend. Not all, not all weeks are like this. A lot of times there are a lot of blowouts. But this weekend there were not. A lot of close games. One game was not. It was Washington and Dallas. And so we'll wrap up the hour with that. We won't waste too much time. Then we'll get to our headlines at the top of the hour and run through all of the later games in fantasy and reality and tell you who did what against the spread. This is Fantasy Sports Today on Sports Grid. I'm Craig Mish. You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. You can follow Joe on Twitter at JoePizza17. Follow us on Twitter at Sports Grid. And we'll be right back. Stay on the grid. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back to Fantasy Sports. Today, as we close out this hour, let's run through the worst game in the NFL on Sunday. That's why we saved it for last here in the first hour. Washington football team, Dallas Cowboys. The game was more or less over before it started. Washington's Kyle Allen threw for 194 passing yards and also rushed for 11 yards through a couple. Antonio Gibson was solid, 20 carries, 128 and a touchdown. McLaurin, always solid, seven receptions, 90 receiving yards and a touchdown for him. Logan Thomas, Four catches, 60 yards, and a score. Washington's actually in the East playoff picture. Now, the Dallas Cowboys clearly are not unless they get their quarterback situation fixed. I can't ever recall one quarterback meaning so much to their team like Prescott does. We see a lot of situations where the quarterback goes out, some miracle guy comes in, and they end up playing well. It happened with New Orleans. What's going on with Dallas? Andy Dalton, this poor guy, uh, his career's over and had a concussion. He should, I mean, I know Dalton's going to want to come back, but he shouldn't. 9 and 19, 75 passing yards, 16 rushing yards. James Madison's Ben DiNucci had never heard of him before. Uh, sorry, I'm just, I don't watch James Madison on Saturdays, and neither should you. Two of three, 39 <laughs> passing yards for him. Ezekiel Elliott was terrible again. He dropped an easy pass, 12 carries, 45 yards. Amari Cooper, seven receptions, 80 yards. And this has really crushed CeeDee Lamb. It has sort of crushed Schultz. It will crush Amari Cooper. And it really it's just time to start looking into who Dallas can get. And Joe, for me, if there's two guys in the NFL that are available, it would be Ryan Fitzpatrick on Miami and Jameis Winston mm-hmm. on New Orleans. I just don't know if, if Dallas is willing to pull the trigger on those and give up picks because they're going to have to do it. Everybody's staring at Dallas on the other side going, we know exactly what you want. You're going to have to pay. In a normal situation, Fitzpatrick, what would be what would he be worth, Joe? A sixth-round pick at the most? What would Winston be worth it on his one-year deal at this point? A fifth-round pick? Seventh-round pick? But right now, they know Dallas is desperate. Do you think that they're going to end up getting one of these guys? I cannot see them playing Danucci this week. I mean, maybe they will. I, I can't believe they will. I, I can't see the Saints giving up Winston right now because they're kind of on the bubble too right now. Look, this is a terrible effort here or lack thereof from the Cowboys. They are done. And I know the standings will tell you otherwise, but I will say this about Washington. They have every reason to believe they can be in this thing because they've already beaten the Eagles now and now they've beaten the Dallas Cowboys. So who's to tell the Washington football team that they can't win this division? I'm not going to be the guy to do it. Yeah, everybody can, except Dallas. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today. Hour 2, next. It's time. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.